Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Kayla Erickson from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test and focus interview. So thank you for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today we're going to be discussing some full gene testing that we have available here at Mayo Clinic. Specifically, the gene we're talking about today is called CYP21A2. And I'm really excited to be chatting today with Michelle Kluge, who is one of our genetic counselors here at Mayo Clinic. Michelle, it's so great to talk to you today. Can you do me a favor before we get started talking about the testing and just give us a little bit of background about yourself and your role here at Mayo Clinic? Yeah, thanks, Kayla. So as you said, I'm a genetic counselor in the genomics laboratory here at Mayo Clinic. Some questions that we sometimes get are what a genetic counselor actually does in the genomics laboratory. So I just wanted to take our listeners through that a little bit. From a clinical standpoint, we review appropriateness of testing of incoming cases. And we're also going to be taking a look at those genetic testing results when they come out and interpreting those, evaluating any novel variants that we have. And then we're also drafting reports to be reviewed by our laboratory directors. We have a bunch of other roles, but I think it sums it up from a clinical standpoint. And then we also staff on-call pagers during working hours to answer any questions that our clients might have from a test interpretation standpoint, or if they have questions about what test to order. So those are a few resources that we offer our clients. So that's so interesting. So your group and our genetic counselor team, and I believe there are over 40 of you right now. Am I correct in yep, that? That's right. So that team is really focused on serving those patients and also serving our clients by being available for those questions and to help interpret reports. That's a really interesting thing. I think it's not the normal for a genetic counselor, but I love that we offer that to our clients. You told, had said that you worked for the genomics laboratory within Mayo Clinic. So that laboratory performs a lot of different tests, um, hundreds of them. So really when it comes to those different genetic tests, what's your particular area of focus? You are absolutely right. There are so many different kinds of tests that the genomics laboratory performs. So our group, we specifically concentrate on cardiovascular immunodeficiency, pharmacogenomics, and then the topic of our discussion today, which is congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Moving on to that congenital adrenal hyperplasia, can you just kind of give me a little bit of an overview of the condition itself that we're testing for? Yeah, sure. So congenital adrenal hyperplasia, it's going to encompass a group of inherited autosomal recessive conditions. And these conditions are caused by pathogenic variants in several enzymes that are involved in the synthesis of cortisol in the adrenal glands. The most common form of congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which is abbreviated CAH, so I'll be referring to it that way as we go forward, a little bit shorter. So the most common form of CAH is 21-hydroxylase deficient CAH, which accounts for at least 90% of CAH cases. And this form of CAH is caused by biallelic pathogenic variants in the CYP21A2 gene, meaning that in order for these patients to be affected, um, the individuals have to have pathogenic variants in both of their copies of CYP21A2. 
a few things about this condition as well as CYP21A2. So CYP21A2 is honestly kind of notorious for being difficult to interrogate. It has really high homology with a nearby pseudogene, and this makes it difficult to capture by routine genetic testing. Because of this high homology, there are deletions, hybrids, or sometimes we refer to them as chimeras, that result from gene conversions between the gene and the pseudogene, and these are very common. So a robust test, which is what we're hopefully going to be talking about today, is going to assess for deletions, duplications, hybrids, and sequence any form of the gene that might result in an active or semi-active enzyme. Another thing about this, though, is that the vast majority of CYP21A2 pathogenic variants, so disease-causing variants, are recurrent variants. So this means that a small number of common variants that are present in most carriers and affected individuals of this condition. So several labs have started offering genotyping for these common pathogenic variants on their carrier screening panels. So one thing that we like to make sure that our listeners are informed about is that it's really important to know the limitations of testing. And we've actually seen in-house here at MCL, we've seen an increase in follow-up testing requests for our internal CYP21A2 full gene analysis test to try to sort out conflicting or confusing carrier screening results from external laboratories. So that's really interesting that you bring that up. You were talking about how this gene is notorious for being difficult to to test accurately. So I think of standard testing methods like standard PCR and those types of things. The test that we're offering is, is going beyond that. But what you're also telling me is that it's going beyond what I know in sort of the marketing world is hotspot testing and really making sure that we're testing the entire gene so we aren't missing any patients. And we're also able to give them that level of detail that's over and above some of the other tests on the market to, again, make sure we're not missing patients and give them that accurate diagnosis. Am I catching all of that correctly? Yeah, that's a great overview of it and a great summary of what we're looking to capture. When I think about this testing and this full gene analysis, what patients should really have this testing and at what point in their journey should this test be performed? Yeah, that's a great question and actually one that we get quite frequently. Our CYP21A2 full gene analysis is actually appropriate both for carrier testing as well as for individuals who have either a suspected diagnosis or an actual clinical diagnosis of 21-hydroxylase deficient CAH. In the journey, if there's a suspected diagnosis or a clinical diagnosis, definitely appropriate to order this testing. Likewise, if we are looking at family planning, it's an appropriate time to order the test. We particularly comment that if there is a known family history of CAH, it is an appropriate test order for um, those carrier screens rather than potentially a more targeted test, just because of some of the complexities, again, with SGN. We also frequently actually get questions about prenatal orders, so I just wanted to take a second to talk about those. So we do accept prenatal samples for this test, and we actually will accept prenatal samples even if we haven't done the parental testing. 
Some common indications for this would be ambiguous genitalia that was identified prenatal ultrasound. However, something that I do want to mention that I think is really important, because of the complexity of this gene, we highly recommend sending in parental samples along with the prenatal sample, just because then if we do run into some kind of ambiguous test results on the prenatal sample, we can expedite that potential testing of parental samples to clarify that result. And I think that clarification and being able to match that up is very, very important. Like you said, it's somewhat unique that we're accepting those prenatal samples, but then again, being able to layer on those parental samples very quickly is going to get us the right answer for those patients and an accurate answer. Exactly. You've talked a little bit about the testing and you've talked about how it's a little different. I want to dig into that a little bit further. So what about our SIP 21A2 testing is really setting us apart from other offerings that are on the market currently today. So Mayo Clinic Laboratories, we've been offering full gene sequencing of CYP21A2 for honestly quite a while. We've been offering CYP21A2 testing for around 14 years. And just because of the amount of time and patience that we have seen through this testing, we've amassed quite a knowledge base surrounding this gene. A few other things that I wanted to mention that somewhat set us apart. We perform molecular genetic testing for this gene by Sanger sequencing to try to avoid some of the limitations of the standard next generation sequencing assays when it comes to highly homologous regions. This allows us actually to quote a detection rate of greater than 99% for patients with a clinical diagnosis of 21-hydroxylase deficiency age. In addition to that, our CYP21A2 assay assesses how many copies of the CYP21A2 gene a patient has, and it also assesses the copy number of the pseudogene and any hybrids that a patient has. So it's going to be a really comprehensive analysis of the patient's genotype. And then we also, through this copy number analysis, we're looking to identify the copies of CYP21A2 or potentially any active hybrids. And then we're Sanger sequencing those forms to see if they carry a pathogenic variant that might affect the enzyme. In some cases, this methodology actually allows us to provide additional phasing information for the patient and also to provide a more in-depth report for the patient. Another nice offering that MCL has is that we offer both the genetic test, which is what we're talking about today, and then we also offer a serum screening profile that assesses cortisol, androstenedione, and 17-hydroxyprogesterone. Really what you're telling me is, I kind of think of it as layers to a cake. We offer this test that sequences to a level that a lot of other people are not able to. We're able to assess those copy number variants. And then you kind of layer on, for lack of a better word, I would call it ganache on the cake of the expertise that we have from doing this testing for the last 14 years and having that huge patient database. And we've seen probably everything if our detection level is at that 99%. Um, so it just sounds like over the years, we've, we've worked this test into something that's over and above what's really available out there. Yeah, that's a great analogy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Quick 
question, and I'm hoping you can just give me one example of when we are giving these results to patients or, or we're offering them information that they didn't have yesterday, what kind of questions have we helped resolve? I think one example would just be really great to understand as these results go out the door, what does that look like for a patient? I'll start by just commenting on what the most common general example is. We frequently get an external result of an uncertain carrier status. So in some cases, we can fully clarify without doing family studies. In other instances, we're still going to need to do family studies, but we might be able to provide the patient and provider with additional information based on our experience, like you said, and then also our more comprehensive molecular methodologies. So as far as an example, one of the cases that comes to mind is a patient who had this carrier testing at an external lab, and they received this uncertain test result indicating that they had a duplication of CYP2NA2. This patient then actually had follow-up testing at a second external laboratory, and their methodology had the limitation of not being able to detect duplications. And so that second lab's result was actually discrepant with the first lab's result. So they sent a sample to us to get a third opinion. And although we couldn't clarify the patient's carrier status right away, we were able to detect that the duplication was actually a hybrid. Through this methodology, we were able to provide both the patient and the provider with additional information. And then as follow-up, they actually sent in parental samples, and we were able to definitively say that the patient was not a carrier. That's really interesting. Uh, again, the steps that those patients are going through to try to find an answer. And then ultimately, after several different attempts, being able to fully clarify that for them. And I think understanding the fact whether they have that carrier status or in this case, they weren't a carrier. I mean, that's really important for somebody to know and to have an understanding that this is the answer, right? The definitive mm -hmm. answer. So I have one last question for you. I know that last year in 2020, the laboratory team really published another case study. What journal was that again? And can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so we published that case study in the European Journal of Endocrinology. Uh, like you said, it was um, last year, so in 2020. And this was another really interesting case that I think demonstrates the complexity of this condition. So we did testing for a set of monozygotic twins. These twins had a discordant clinical presentation of congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And when we did testing, we actually found that they had inherited a variant from their mother, and then they actually had mosaicism of a CYP2NA2 full gene deletion that we were able to pick up by our methodology. So this particular article, we're actually going to have it listed in the resource section. And the supplemental materials of that article include additional information about our methodology. And I think it really helps to illustrate how we can resolve these complicated cases with our laboratory's methodology. Wonderful. And like you said, we're going to have that link to the resource and the publication actually right below where this podcast is located. You have brought up that obviously this is very complex to interpret these cases as they come out. There is a lot of variability in how we have these patients present. So what happens when we give out these results and they go to, to a clinician that just needs some additional understanding of what's actually going on with their patient? Do you get those kinds of phone calls? 
Yeah, absolutely. Those are actually some of the most common phone calls that we get on our on-call pager for our group. So like you said, and like I think that this test and focus has demonstrated, it's a complicated gene. And the genetic counselors who help with interpretation of this assay are more than happy to answer questions that the providers have about the test results that are issued by our laboratory. So we want to make sure that the providers are comfortable sharing results with their patient and also communicating the implications for the patient as well as for their family members. So I would just encourage our clients that if they have a question about our CYP2182 assay or if they need help with the interpretation, please feel free to give us a call. We are definitely happy to talk to you. I think that's so wonderful that with a quick call to our 800 number, our team and our genetic counselor team is available during those business hours to help anybody when they need it. It's just a wonderful service to, again, help people understand the complex results that go along with this gene. So Michelle, I just want to say thank you for talking to us today. I really learned a lot and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.